I'm going to start in Malawi. So some of you will know that I went on a SOMA trip. Patrick was leading it, and we had two uh, graduates from the university, and we had two Malawians out there. And on the Tuesday of the week, the course started on Monday. On the Tuesday, there was a very exciting move of the Spirit at the end of a day of teaching. Uh, A move of the Spirit explained to us English by our Malawian colleagues who came into an evening meeting saying, you don't know what's just happened, there's been revival here, they said. And I reacted sort of in my heart thinking, I wonder what that means, revival is an overused word. <laughs> but they said, no, it's true, we've had, we've had priests in the Anglo-Catholic tradition church tonight coming to us saying, we want fresh starts. And it was an amazing moment, and their faces lit up with the joy. And we then had an evening meeting. Those of you who remember Patrick's style, it's creative. (laughs) And we put things together for the next day. But this meeting went on for about twice as long, because we were so joyful at what had happened that day. It was an extraordinary day. I want to take on from that, because on the Wednesday, we had a prayer and praise evening. We, We put it on because of this happened. It was during a power cut. So the powers that be said, you can't have the meeting. He said, we're going to have it. We'll bring torches and candles. And we lit up the chapel in this complex where we were staying with torches and candles and had the most extraordinary time in the evening, a continued blessing, but punctuated by uh, the Malawian singing a cappella style. And they're very, very good at that. Harmony and rhythm, and you can imagine we got caught up with this. And it was very loud. I have never before or since been in a public meeting where I was singing hallelujah at the top of my voice, probably off key, and it just fitted in. (laughs) It was extraordinary. It was a racket. It raised the roof. But when you saw the faces of joy of the Malawians, tremendous people, and the Lord was there in a very deep way. And I think that this is the mood in which this psalm was written. And when we start off, there are three sections to it. And the first section really is this tremendous first person. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. This exuberance of the writer, glorify. I sought him and he delivered me. My face was radiant. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Let's pause for a moment to look at the context. There is some confusion on the context because the editorial comment in the psalm says Abimelech. In fact, the reference uh, is David Agath when in fact he was in front of Ashish king. So the commentaries are uh, not quite clear how to explain this unless the word Abimelech, which is quite a common royalty word, was used just as a reference to the king at the time. But the story is this. David took these words to heart because he was threatened by the king and was very much afraid of Ashish, king of Gath. So he feigned insanity in their presence and while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Ashish said to his servants, look at the man, he's insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man be in my house? So David probably was quite good at feigning insanity and there must have been lots and lots of saliva dribbling down his beard. 
who knows what he was doing. So therefore, if we come back to the word of the psalm, he writes, those who look at him are radiant, their faces are never covered with shame. And there's something here, isn't there, about the start of this psalm where David is recollecting that event or events like that where he has called on the Lord and the Lord has saved him. Angels encamp around us. And then we have the second section, the title of this talk, Taste and See that the Lord is Good. Taste and see. This direction to us, the readers. So therefore, taste and see. Experience it. Try it. I'm talking with somebody at the moment about faith. It's quite an important conversation. And we're just um, discussing the evidence for faith. This person I'm talking to is a man of great intelligence and thinking and insight and questions. It's a person who finds the prescriptive routine of Alpha, which is a very good course for those who like it. But for some, Alpha is so organized but actually they're saying, hang on, I've got too many questions I want to ask. This particular person has got a great deal of questions. And I'm saying to him that it's possible to categorize faith, the evidence of faith, into the following broad headings. These are quite useful. And the first is scripture, the foundation of our faith. Scripture applied to life, the, the life manual, wisely and deeply read. So we have scripture, we have tradition. Tradition varies in, diff in different circumstances. I went, to I went to train for a while over in St. Agnes Church in St. Paul's, Bristol, where there's a large Afro-Caribbean community. And for them, the tradition of, of icons and incense and drama is the way they sense the presence of God. That's their tradition. When I was there worshipping with them, they helped me to see that. We used to sing a song, didn't we? Let our praise to you be as incense we sang about their tradition. So tradition has its place. Where tradition goes wrong is where the worship is for the tradition itself rather than the Lord. But when traditions point to the Lord, that is good. So we have scripture, tradition, we have reason. I think it's a very compelling reason to look to the glory of God, for example, on the night sky, when you're looking at the Milky Way through binoculars on a clear night and you see millions upon millions of stars, and you stop and you think, there must be something more to Earth than human beings. So you've got tradition, scripture, tradition, reason, and then the fourth category is experience. Experience of faith. And that's divided into experience of others. So the importance of testimony, of God's story, this is what happened to me, authentic story about God moving in real time, that encourages other people but also experiences ourselves when we experience. And it's very good sometimes to be reminded that actually we can remember the wonders of God in our own lives. Oh, taste and see. Surely that is experience. So here in this psalm, David having extolled the wonders, the wonders of God in his life, says, therefore, taste and see Try it. Take refuge in the Lord. Fear the Lord. Not a, not a negative fear, but a fear of awe and wonder. Come. Listen. 
lifestyle worship. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Lifestyle worship. And then the third section of this psalm is where David sort of looks ahead to the fact that God will prevail. Right will win. All will be well. One of the phrases that I've often used in my ministry, I've said it here before, is the certainty of hope in the mystery of God. The word mystery is a good word because it allows people to have questions. God understands questions. It allows people to go into the chapel at Dorothy House and rant at God. He would expect that. That's authentic in our grief. But God listens. The certainty of hope in the mystery of God. And we can see this is an inclusive hope. The psalmist recognizes that there will be the brokenhearted. There will be the crushed in spirit. There will be those who are seeking. There will be those who are feeling lost. There will be those who ask why. It's all here. But right will prevail. The righteous may have troubles, yes. But their delivery, justice, and no condemnation. So a great psalm. Somehow a psalm that's authentic and honest. A psalm that says to us, do not lose heart in any circumstance. One final comment is that this psalm for me is one of the answers to those who say, I cannot believe in God. How can he allow such suffering stuff that? Which is a phrase I often hear in talking to people about faith. But this psalm acknowledges that there will be suffering. God is not the cause. Jesus came into a world of great suffering. He is not the cause. We read this psalm through New Testament eyes, believing and trusting in Jesus Christ. It is Jesus who sees and offers help, offers hope. It means that when we are at rock bottom, we can remember there that there is never no hope. So we read this psalm and trust in Jesus, Son of God, our Saviour. Amen.